So the first workshop we held in Fiji, we were super excited. We had 20 people being like, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. I want to join. Comes to the, the day and then one person rocks up and we're like, oh, ouch. <laughs> anyway, we did the workshop because we're like, we're here. We've got everything prepped. We may as well do this presentation. So we ran through all these different things from integrated pest management and companion cropping and basically diversifying the farm to increase farm resilience and have a continual supply of income for the farmers. Yeah. Anyway, so we finished the workshop. The guy was like, yeah, cool. That was great. Um, and then six months later, we visited his farm and he had implemented everything yeah. and was talking about all the scientific knowledge we had taught him and showing how he implemented it on his farm. Yeah. And like the real impact was, uh, he had increased his income by five times the national average, which yeah. to us was absurd. So that was amazing. So seeing that kind of feedback and that impact uh, really drives us to just keep going. Yeah. Like even though there's a bit of a slump here and there, it's like, no, we are doing good. Yeah. We can do this. Let's keep it up yeah. kind of thing. And I think that's why to us the farmer stories and really showing the people behind the food is really important to us because there's so many of these stories and I think nowadays people have a disconnect between mm, sure. where the food comes from and so really creating that awareness and bringing it back to these are real people out there mm. and they've done all this work for you I think is really it's so cool. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Farm to Table Talk has had many conversations about connecting farmers to their end consumers. And that's a big issue. How are you trying to help the farmers and help them connect with customers? And certainly when we've gone through a COVID year, there was especially challenging that people had to find better ways to do it or do it better than they've ever done it before. And you go around the world and you find people that are getting engaged. Well, we're going around the world today. We're going to another hemisphere. We're going to Australia. And I'm happy to welcome Lisa and Zoe Paisley. Welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Hi, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us here. Um, it should be a really good conversation and I'm excited to talk about all things food in Fiji and bush tucker in Australia as well. So it should be a good chat. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, and as we're having this conversation, this is just an audio that we're doing, but I have the benefit of seeing that you two are <laughs> twins. I don't yeah. know whether uh, – now, did, does your voice sound exactly alike to people as much as they think you're twins? <laughs> I I don't know. The people listening will be able to tell maybe um, because yeah. I won't see us. But I think the people that know us do hear a voice difference um, mm. and they will see differences between us as well. Yeah. So I think my voice, so Lisa is slightly higher yeah. from what I've been uh, told. Um, yeah. And Zoe's is slightly lower. So try to pick up on that. Yeah, you can see what you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't want to bog down on that, except I, I just kind of imagine that. They usually think of twins and you think, well, somebody, you pick up the phone, you have to say, hi, this is Lisa. Yeah. Hi, this is Zoe. You don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, to identify. But that's not the biggest issue we've got to talk about right now. <laughs> the thing we want to talk about is um, why you're doing what you're doing. So let's just say of what you're doing. And when we say that you're trying to connect and help farmers, 
you do that in a profound way. I mean, you you didn't just say, let's drive outside Sydney and find a few farmers. I mean, you started off with a project in Fiji, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so our journey in the agricultural space really started in high school. Um, our high school is based in Whoop Whoop, which is what an Australian term in the middle of like nowhere. nowhere. Um, and essentially they had a strong focus on agriculture. So we had some firsthand experience of growing our own veggies, working with livestock like cows and chickens and um, sheep roast on the, the property as well, which was really cool. Um, so from that, we kind of learnt the importance of innovating in the food sec- sector and also food insecurity around the world is a huge topic and it's a huge challenge that we need to address very soon so when it came to choosing a career we really wanted to deep dive into that side of things Um, and then we went into university and we found out that there's this whole area called development ag and that's essentially going to developing countries and trying to boost income and livelihoods for smallholder farmers to address poverty and food insecurity and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we just, we kind of fell in love with that idea because being twins, we have very similar personality and likes and interests and we both wanted to get out in the world and make positive impact where we could and we just saw ag as that way to travel the world. Wherever you go, you're going to need food and there's always going to be work there. Mm. Um, so that's why we started Bachelor of Science in Agriculture with a focus on agro-development um, or agricultural development across the world. Mm. And through that, we then found a placement in Fiji and that kind of kick-started our whole thing of what does the social business look like and how can we work in Fiji? Because we went there, we did a placement and we just fell in love with everyone. Mm. Um, if anyone's been there, you know that Fijians are just super hospitable. They love people coming over. Everyone yells bula, which is hello. Um, so we just fell in love with that and we saw a huge disconnect between the tourism industry, which a lot of um, visitors will see, uh, and the actual local Fijians and the villages that are out there and how we have in Fiji local farmers that produce all this food and it's amazing, they support the families, but then when they go to sell at market, they really struggle sometimes in getting it to consumers and people buying that. And with the tourism industry, what we later realised and we actually looked into it deeply was there was like $30 million worth of food being imported into Fiji every year. And we're kind of like, well, there's local farmers. Why can't <laughs> you buy off these local farmers, support them, help them improve their livelihoods, help them get kids through school, you know, all this sort of thing. So that was pretty much our spark. Why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and why we started in Fiji. So that was a long story to get to that of we realised there was a disconnect and we wanted to try to fix that. Oh, I want to take a long story and make it longer because I, 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 I want to go. I want to go back because I'm, I'm still picturing yeah. this. So, out some way away from Sydney, you you mm-hmm. you grew up, and yeah. it was in the country, and you had some animals, and you and you were able to grow your some of your own food, and you kind of got mm-hmm. the bug. You like that. You decided yeah. to major in agriculture, and you you studied, and as you went through uh, uh, that part of the journey, I know others that have done it. But that action step of of having finishing college and and, and then discover uh, something like you've done, did it come about because first you were just going to say, "Well, let's go to Fiji because we need a break," and then when you were th- <laughs> when you were there, you were discovering there was a need that that was speaking to you. 
Mm, um, so we actually found a company who was doing like volunteer trips for university students to these different developing countries. Um, uh-huh. And one of the, yeah, yeah, one of the projects was um, about farm consultancy for smallholder farmers. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, my God, I love this. I really want to try it, see if it's something we could do post-uni and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we did that internship and that's kind of where the journey really started for us. Yeah. So you're there and describe mm-hmm. Fiji to people. I mean, uh, everyone thinks a tropical paradise of some sort. It's got sand and ocean on around it. But beyond that, I, I have a hard time picturing how big Fiji is. And it's probably, mm-hmm. what, a couple hours flight for you from, from Australia to, to Fiji? Yeah. It's one of the closest countries. It's amazing. Like Australians usually have to fly eight plus 14 hour flights to get anywhere. But from Sydney to Fiji, it's like three, maybe four hours, yeah, which is roughly four. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's quite that's... funny. That. Sorry, just a comment on that. Um, it takes roughly the same amount of time for us to fly from Sydney to Fiji as it would Sydney to Western Australia. So oh, it's like, okay. it, it feels very close. Really. <laughs> yeah. So you land, you go there, and then you, how do you, how do you start coming into contact with the farmers? How do you discover the farmers? I mean, I mean, you don't come up to them and say, well, I'm from Sydney and I'm here to help, you know, I mean, so how did, how did that come to, to be that you made those connections? Yeah. So there's kind of like two approaches there. Part of it is that, Hey, I'm from Sydney. Tell me all about your farm. Um, because as Zoe was saying, everyone is just so welcoming. Mm. So you can walk down the street of Singatoka Valley. So that's the main farming district in Fiji. It's yeah. where um, it's where the rugby team's from, but it's also where all the fruits and vegetables are grown, really. Yeah. It's called the salad bowl of Fiji. So that's where we started. It was where we did our first placement. And like Lisa was saying, um, you can walk down the street and you'll just get randoms, essentially, just come over and be like, Bula, um, and they'll just welcome you into the home. They're like, Bula, would you like some tea or would you like some biscuits or, or whatever it happens yeah. to be? Yeah. So you just get welcomed in. And they're, like I was saying before, they really love people. Um, so you could just walk in, have a tea, just talk about whatever you wanted. And I think being from an agricultural background, we could really connect on that ag level and talk about food and talk about pests or, you yeah. know. Like get into ro- the nitty-gritty details yeah. that not all tourists could really dig into. And I think they really appreciated that, like, oh, my goodness, you know my problems, you understand me, you can help kind of thing. Yep. Um, so that was a great way of kind of building that first rapport with the community. Um and then from there, because it's still a very village-like community over there, um, to meet more farmers other than those individuals down the road, we would set up, um, oh, what's Watch the technical this. term? It's been too long since I've been in <laughs> Fiji. Um, uh, Savu, no, Savu, when, Talanoa, Talanoa. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the technical term for um, when you're making an introduction about yourself, who you are, and you're getting greeted into the village. And it's essentially just having a conversation um, and an open dialogue about your problems and how you want to solve it and that kind of stuff. So it's very um, Pacific or Islander, I guess. So uh, you go in, you bring your kava root or waka root. Yeah, Waka root is what it's called, but you pound that up into kava, which is a kind of traditional drink and it holds a lot of cultural significance. Uh, So you bring in the root and then you present that to the village headman and he pounds it i think yeah yeah they yeah. pound it and they kind of do a little ritual which is all in fijian so i don't 
100% understand what they're saying, but I think it's just thank you for coming. We welcome you. Feel free to have a conversation with anyone in the village. Um, you're part of our family now. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and then you just get and lots of clapping and it's a lot of fun yeah. and lots oh, of nodding and nothing. So I, I, love, I love this. So you, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you get that opportunity, you kind of like talking mm -hmm. to the head person a bit and you're yeah. having a drink of something or socializing. And what was the mm -hmm. word you call that when you get together and it's kind of the icebreaker that's, mm -hmm. that's uh, you uh, know. Noah. How do you spell that? Do you know, we'll uh, just make up something. Nobody will know. <laughs> I'll try to be accurate as best okay. I can. Um, T A L A N O A. Uh, I want one of those. I want to be in that sometime. So yeah. you're, yeah. it's kind of creating this this environment to have a conversation. You get off mm -hmm. to a good start then, and in that first gathering, it opens the door then for you to go start speaking with farmers and asking yeah. them what their needs are. Yeah. yeah. So it essentially gives you permission to talk to the villagers in that village and community um, and also just start doing projects and working with them. You know, in the States and in Australia, we have extension agents, we have researchers and others. Do those kind of positions exist in Fiji to help those farmers? Mm, I think they, there definitely is. Um, there's a Ministry of Agriculture that's out there and they have their extension offices. And they know the Fijian context and understand everything around that. But what we found was there's a lot of subsistence farmers in Fiji. So the ones that are growing food for the family and then if they have excess, that's when they would try to sell to market. Yeah. And we found that the extension officers, whether it's because the Ministry of Agriculture didn't have enough funds or just resources in general, their extension officers would focus on the big, more commercial farms in Fiji. So there's yeah. a lot of farmers, whether it's assistant farmers or small farms that mm. just weren't getting this um, advice or advice. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where we were trying to come in and try to help those smaller farmers and connect with them. Mm. So we would do in the early days, um, we started with like consultancy reports. So we'll drop into a farmer being like, hey, what new things do you want to implement? Because we had one guy who wanted to do hydroponics. So we we're kind of coaching him on or the little things to look out for for that. Right. Um, or maybe they wanted to do a composting system mm. or whatever it happened to be, we would go in, assess the farm and then give them advice. Um, and then we also looked into a workshop model, which we've just kicked up again recently um, because we found it was really impactful. Um, there's a funny story with that, but we can jump back into that a bit later. <laughs> So you were saying what kind of model, though? I didn't quite understand what you were describing. You said workshop or what? what's that? Yeah, so a workshop. So Workshop, we'll workshop. Get, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, was, I was hearing an accent, a uh, workshop. Yeah, it would okay. be the uh, accent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now I think I've talked to farmers in lots of states and several countries and mm -hmm. and. Um, they almost always will have a story of being concerned that they're not getting enough money, uh, that they have mm -hmm. problems with the market. So that's not unusual that, that yeah. people have that frustration, but some have it really, really bad. Oh, uh, yeah. I would suspect with the kind of farmers you were talking about, you ran into some that had some really legitimate complaints of, mm -hmm. of not making nearly as much as they needed to, to be able to operate their farm and have a living for their family. Mm. And there's lots of different, reasons why like one there's that cost price squeeze where 
the middleman are trying to pay as little as possible, mm-hmm. but retailers, it, like it just goes down the whole food supply chain where the farmers end up with next to no money for this crop that they've mm-hmm. grown. Um, so there's the cost price squeeze. There's also middlemen who are fairly well established and they'll basically drive from village to village to pick up produce and it's super convenient for the farmer, but mm-hmm. they just have to accept whatever price the middleman gives them. Um, yeah. But in Fiji, everyone's on Fiji time, so half the time the middleman doesn't actually come. So a farmer will harvest that crop, put it out on the roadside, mm-hmm. and no one would pick it up. Um, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, and then there's infrastructure <laughs> issues. Um, the roads aren't great. Great, yeah. <laughs> Best way of putting it, they'll get flooded regularly. They're in a tropical um, environment so you do get cyclones and stuff like that so it's mm. quite difficult managing a whole bunch of like environmental issues infrastructure um economical political yeah. all this kind of stuff it's yeah. difficult for them yeah so you two would start by um hearing their problem mm-hmm. uh, advising them on where you could and then where do you grab a hold and help them with the marketing side mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. you can go first um <laughs> okay, yeah so, so we yeah, we discovered that there was all this these kind of issues and part of the thing is what we didn't want to come in and say, hey, we're Australians and we know better than you and tell you how to do everything when realistically farmers aren't stupid. They do know what to do and they know what works with their land. So we kind of moved away from the consultancy side and the education and we're like, cool, you can kind of handle that and if you need tips on how to manage certain aspects, we can definitely help with that as well but we wanted to help on that second end, which was that market side. Mm-hmm. So as Lisa said, and as a lot of agricultural food systems experience, it's a cost price squeeze. So what we want to do is come in and give the farmers a fair price and create a transparent food system where everyone knows where the food's coming from and they know that the farmer is getting majority of the money if they buy from AgriGlobal. Mm. So we, with that, we started with the tourism industry. Uh, this was pre-COVID. Uh, 20, 2019 mm. 2020 right. so we started with tourism because they're like the biggest market over there for food and fresh food so we're going to them and saying hey we got these local products um they were super interested they started buying quite regularly mm. and then covid hit and so tourism kind of disappeared but and how we kept going is we have an e-commerce uh, marketplace so online shop Mm-hmm. And we will put up the farmers' products on there. We will have all the farmers' stories. We'll have 20% markup is what we put on. So it's quite minimal when you look at um, middleman. Yeah. They do like double whatever, mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. So we do minimal markup. We put them online. We describe the product, say when it's available, because that was another piece is education around what is locally available at any given sure. time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, farmer stories was our big crucial thing. So on our store or our online website we have all these farmer stories and it says where these farmers are from what village what they produce are they supporting their family is it just some as a breadwinner winner uh all this sort of stuff so Mm -hmm. let's plug the website right now we'll do it again later too (laughs) so if anybody wants to look up and see some of those farmer stories where do they look um they can just go to www.aggieglobal.com and aggie is spelled a-double-g-i-e Aggieglobal.com, and they can find the find the stories. Now, uh, now, can I order some? I mean, can can we ship into the states, or is it primarily sold in Fiji or Fiji to Australia? Mm -hmm. 
So we're still working on that um, because the whole kind of idea behind it is to reduce food imports into Fiji. So we're really on the local angle at the moment, local farmers to local buyers. Um, But we're definitely looking into the export of Fijian products to like the US, Australia, Europe, all this kind of stuff. Um, And that's mostly for value added goods. So Mm -hmm. things like dried coffee. We have this one association, they're called Bulabatiki um, Association. And they're a group of 90 villages on a separate island in Fiji. um, And they make this really cool virgin coconut oil. And it's all organic. It's presented really well. Each jar comes like with a tag being like so-and-so packed it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's got a really lovely story to it. And that's something that we do want to start exporting to bigger buyers because they need those big regular orders. Um, Yeah. So long story short, you can buy some things online from the US and things like that. Um, But bear with us because freight is ridiculously expensive at the moment. So So can you kind of like tie into the Fiji water thing? So now you guys are back in uh, Australia now. Mm -hmm. How difficult is it to, to keep things going with your Fiji connections? Uh, mm. Because, I mean, I, I, it sounds like when you talked about meeting them in the first place, they value that personal connection mm-hmm. and the face-to-face and the, the special meetings that you had to get started and everything. Mm-hmm. But especially now that you're not traveling and you're back, how are you keeping those relationships up? So we were very lucky. So when COVID hit, we were in Fiji um, and we had just started interviewing a few local women to kind of join the team and mm-hmm. Yeah, be part of the team, be the local representative, I suppose. We didn't just interview women. We did interview yeah, we, as well. Yeah, we interviewed guys as well. We ended okay, up okay, that we right. the, women just because yeah, they were yeah, the right. most, yeah, aligned with everything. So we have this one lady. Um, her name's Elizabeth, and she is amazing. Yeah. So she handles all the phone calls from us. She goes to meetings. She works out all the logistics for orders. She finds the farmers for talks to all the customers and all this kind of stuff. Um so without her, it would, I don't know what we would have done. Yeah. Like, I feel like Aggie would have had to yeah. just close temporarily until we could get back. Um, but, yeah, having her presence there has helped a lot. Yeah. I think the other cool thing is there's a lot, I'm sure everyone's kind of adapted to working at home and using Zoom meetings and just being online more. And mm. luckily a lot of Fijians do use Facebook, like, super regularly. Um, Facebook is everywhere. So we just use Facebook as our communication. We'll do um, phone calls over that. And it's quite easy, realistically. It's just managing yeah. another. Yeah. Um, there is obviously hiccups and stuff we could be doing more if we were over there. But mm. yeah, she's a bit of a lifesaver. And she's also a single mom. So we're just like, we do our best to support her where we can and things like that. Sounds, so. sounds perfect. Now, what do you do? What are you doing in Australia? Are you taking some similar approaches in Australia now? Mm-hmm. We started off doing very similar stuff. Um, we're like, okay, awesome, things are going really well in Fiji. Let's duplicate that and do it in Oz. But there's obviously a few hiccups when you try to do that because Fiji is still kind of developing. Australia's fairly well developed. Everyone's got contracts with like grain corporations and people can go to their local farmers market and talk to the farmers there so we found that working with fresh fruit and veggies wasn't really going to be our thing so we're trying to work out what our niche could do and we kept coming back to this idea of a social business like how can we make the most 
impact in Australia, um, but still work with suppliers and things. And that's where we came across the Indigenous uh, bush food space, um, which I can kind of talk about yeah. a bit more. So there's a whole bunch of issues around this, I guess. Um, but Indigenous Australians uh, have lived here for thousands of years. They know the land. They know the food that you can get from the trees, from like root crops, whatever it sure. is. Um, and nowadays everyone knows about macadamia nuts, um, which is a bush food. There's a whole bunch of other ones, but there's like <laughs> I think it's 5,000 bush foods and we know we commercially have like five of them out. And within the bush food industry nowadays, I think 99% is run by non-Indigenous people. They're not even Australians. So mm. Indigenous Australians are representing this tiny little thing that to us is very much their culture. Mm. So we want to bring their voice back into their own industry, essentially, um, and try to help them get back into it and support them where we can and get them back into the market. So we are in Australia it's still early days, so as much as <laughs> this is like our big ideal and vision, um, yeah, we only yeah. have a few suppliers right now. But you go. You have a question? Yeah, no, I do. I have to stop back. We're not used to referring to bush foods. So I think yeah, for some yeah. of us that um, the bush, unless you I mean, you've watched a few Australian movies, and so, you, you know, you've, you've heard the term before. But how would you describe <laughs> bush foods? What does that mean mm -hmm. to be bush? Yeah, to, be, <laughs> to go bush. Yeah. Um, basically surviving off the land, I suppose, like yeah. eating native fruits and tubers and like ants and witchly grubs and <laughs> like even emu and kangaroo, that's considered a bush food. So yep. essentially anything that's found naturally in the Australian environment um, that's edible would be kind of classified as a bush food. Yeah. And there's a lot of like trees that are medicinal that we're mm. finding out through our Indigenous heritage, I guess, not ours, but Australians. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole heap of bush food. It's just what we call it. <laughs> I say, well, no, I like it. I like it a lot. And I've been to Australia myself. Mm -hmm. And so I've been like from Sydney and Melbourne and I've been up to the mm -hmm. rainforest area, yes. uh, you know, and so if you look at and a lot of people know what Australia looks like on the map, if they haven't even been there, but yeah. the area that we consider the bush, is it more towards the, the, the North or what part of Australia is, is more the, the geographic region? that you would be talking about it's, it's kind of everywhere yeah. <laughs> Every, everywhere yeah, oh. yeah i would say everywhere because i just recently i posted in a bush food facebook group and was like what would you say is like a bush food that represents a state and the resounding answer was you can't really narrow it down to states or just one single geographical area because uh -huh. australia is so huge and diverse in our environments sure the, so there's a bush food called finger lime, which is really awesome. It's like, it looks kind of gross, um, <laughs> but it's like a, almost like a cucumber, but smaller, yeah. um, different kind of skin, a bit thicker, a bit kind of waxy. But mm. when you slice it open, it's got these little like caviar, caviar balls, mm. and they kind of burst in your mouth and it's a citrus lime flavor. Mm. They're really awesome. We made it in guac and we put them in there and it was Yum. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to import some of that. The, yeah. So now when you work with, when you work with Fiji, you have yeah. a certain approach. 
and you went into the area, met with the head person, you talked to them, you had a nice kind of ice-breaking conversation, you got the doors open to go work with the farmers. So if Indigenous people that are all over in different areas of Australia to the bush, how do you do the same thing? I mean, do you don't drive out and find the head person to talk to or something? Or do you, how do you connect with yeah. um, the, the in, indigenous communities to be mm-hmm. able to help them with bush foods? Yeah. This is one of the biggest struggles we're having um, with COVID movement being restricted. We've had state lockdowns and things like that. So travel is, has been restricted it's not an excuse well (laughs) it's an excuse we use but it shouldn't be um so one of the ways we're going through it is similar to fiji where you talk to the village headman so you talk to someone who is in charge and that's kind of the goal of what we want to do but what we've also found is there's a lot because this is a big issue um there's a lot of groups and other businesses that are trying to do similar stuff of getting indigenous people back into market or just helping them sell like some of their crafts or paintings or because it's a whole bunch of artists and stuff which is great so we'll approach those kind of groups and we found this one group elp i never remember what it stands for (laughs) but they're based in northern territory and up there that's like it's tough up there Mm. so there's a lot of indigenous australians up there which is great so we spoke to elp and they connected us to Golban, which is a group that do wild harvest leaves but they actually use it as tea and Golban is great i really love them they're cool community wild harvested products but when you taste Golban tea it tastes like the aussie bush and (laughs) for those that haven't been to australia it's kind of this weird idea probably but you just taste it and it like has eucalyptus oil kind of taste and it's just the smell of the bush yeah it's really hard to describe I don't know how to describe it um but yeah so they're an awesome group and essentially how we try to connect and find new bush food producing harvesting communities um is going through like different associations or as Zoe was saying different businesses who are already connected to those communities Mm -hmm. Um, that we can't reach face-to-face. So we give them a call, have a chat about what we're doing and see if anyone in that community and group is doing anything Mm -hmm. relevant or something we can help with kind of thing. Yeah, it's a bit hard to describe. (laughs) No, I think that sounds sounds great. So you... uh, but in those cases, if you connect and you identify the food and you um, talk to the community, they don't really have themselves set up to do marketing per se, I suppose. Yeah. So what yeah. are these individuals that may harvest some of these foods that are then able to be further processed or exported, but you have to deal with individuals rather than say what we would have as a, as a tribe we've got, for example, mm-hmm. in the, in the States, uh, the, the Navajo nation is very sophisticated and they've been developing a number of brands of branded products for the tribe. Um, okay. Do you have anything that's that well organized among the indigenous folks that you're working with? Mm, um, it's kind of a bit of a mix. So mm. what we're, Goban is great. They're getting quite advanced, I would say, in the sense that they have their own packaging, they put them all into their own jars and mm. they do mm. bulk. And, and they're registered as like a separate business. Um, but, yeah, so when we're working with those individual community members, we try to go to, again, like a community head like one single representative and deal with them and they'll coordinate the individuals for us um the marketing they may have the packaging and things like that like the physical 
marketing materials, I guess. But then how we really help is getting them online and promoting them through Facebook or social media or just a website in general. Mm. Uh, so we really do the digital kind of marketing and yeah. help them there. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. I have to tell you, you two that uh, yesterday I had a call with a Girl Scout troop and okay. they contacted me and a chef said, why don't you call Roger Wasson and talk mm-hmm. about local foods and what's happening with farming? And, and I thought, well, okay, fine. So I did a Zoom with the Girl Scout troop and they were, they were older. They were probably like all maybe 15, 14 or 15 years old. And I told them that I was going to talk to, uh, to you two. <laughs> and, and told him about what you were doing. And I said, would any of you like to be doing something like they did? And several of them raised their hand. <laughs> that's, oh, that's so good. That's very sweet. <laughs> so you, you've got a Girl Scout troop in Roseville, California. That nice. It's cool. pretty, awesome. We'll have to pretty, visit when pretty cool. we get <laughs> pretty, pretty cool what you're doing. I think it's great what you're doing, too. And it seems to me that um, that you're getting a lot out of it as well. Mm, um, yeah, it's what a nice journey. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so cool because we obviously did the science. We have a science background. That's what we studied. But now we're into business and community development projects and it, you learn a lot so from much. it. Like coming out of uni, we probably didn't have the best confidence and we're like, oh, I don't want to talk to strangers yeah. kind of thing. Um, but once you've kind of got that why and you know you this is what you want to do and this is the bigger goal we're reaching towards. It's kind of a motivator to go yeah. out and do it. Um, and I think part of it is you realise everyone's human. Yeah. Um, I think it really helped in Fiji when we first started because we were meeting like the head of the Ministry of Agriculture and you're like, oh, my God, he's this big, crazy figure. And then you meet them and you're like, oh, you're just, you're just a person. I can just talk to you like a normal human being. Like <laughs> It really kind of broke down some of those big daunting expectations and you just take it as oh this is just what it is and you can just behave as you normally would kind of thing so I think that's Mm. really cool and like Lisa's saying it's super rewarding um Mm. in Fiji having Elizabeth our staff member being a single mom knowing that we are supporting her and her kids is incredible we really love that um Mm. and then from some of the workshops we held um this was a funny story I kind of alluded to before. So the first workshop we held in Fiji, we were super excited. We had 20 people being like, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. I want to join. Comes to the, the day and then one person rocks up and we're like, oh, ouch. <laughs> anyway, we did the workshop because we're like, we're here. We've got everything prepped. We may as well do this presentation. So we ran through all these different things from integrated pest management and companion cropping and basically diversifying the farm to increase farm resilience and have a continual supply of income for the farmers. Yeah. Anyway, so we finished the workshop. The guy was like, yeah, cool, that was great. Um, and then six months later we visited his farm and he had implemented everything yeah. and was talking about all the scientific knowledge we had taught him and showing how he implemented it on his farm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, the real impact was... Uh, he had increased his income by five times the national average, which to us was absurd. Um, So that was amazing. So seeing that kind of feedback and that impact uh, really drives us to just keep going. Like even though there's a bit of a slump here and there, it's like, no, we are doing good. We can do this. Let's keep it up kind of thing. And I think that's why to us the farmer stories and really showing 
the people behind the food is really important to us because there's so many of these stories and I think nowadays people have a disconnect between mm, where sure. the food comes from and so really creating that awareness and bringing it back to these are real people out there mm. and they've done all this work for you I think is really, really important. Well, you know, and I think the farmer stories are in some ways even more important than the local story because yep, yep. nothing's local for you guys. I mean, when you look at, I mean, Australia has had to look at the whole world market of being so far away. So Australia has done a yeah. great job of delivering quality food products worldwide. And yep. when I talk to people like, like this Girl Scout troop or some of the others I talk to, they talk about their interest in local food and they want to know what's mm -hmm. within 25 miles or 50 miles yeah. or, you know, or a hundred, hundred miles. I, I think that's fine, but it's good to know the story because there's certain things that that come with a story that you'd want to get from Fiji, and there are certain foods that you might be able to 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 be able to have bush foods, you know, that are coming from indigenous people in Australia, and I think that story of the unique foods. Um, they still have to travel maybe a, a great distance, but you can still participate in that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it can't. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, it's just so cool because I think having those farmer stories and discovering these more unusual foods, I think yeah. that's what's going to make the biggest impact. Like we've discovered so many Fijian foods <laughs> we had no idea existed. Like they call it sea grapes, and it's a type of seaweed that is basically like grapes they like pop in your mouth and they come in the string you've probably seen similar ones on the beach in california and stuff we can't guarantee the edible but <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's just there's so many cultural things associated with food and i think that's kind of what's so attractive about the industry for us because yeah, there's just an emotional connection to the food we eat and all that kind of stuff, which we find very cool. I mean, it can't all be easy, I'm sure. What's the biggest challenge that, that you have to deal with now? I think early days was getting used to how Fijians run businesses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was a lot of Fiji time. Everything was paper-based, so there was nothing done online. So we had to spend, like, three days to get one form filled because we had to go to eight different offices around the island and all that kind of stuff. So I think getting used to those kind of wild goose chases um, just yeah. to set up the business, um, yeah. that was probably one of the hardest things. Um, yeah. I think yeah. now part of it is building because now we have, oh, sorry, now we <laughs> have um, the actual foundations for the business on both Australia and Fiji. And now it's about building that sustainable income, um, making sure we're profitable and we can keep running because those profits can feed back into the activities we do and things. Mm -hmm. um, so in a way, I guess it's kind of normal business struggles, I guess. Uh, so apart from the Fiji time, I think it's kind of the normal things, I guess. But, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, so when you guys have a meeting of your board, which is uh, Lisa and Zoe, <laughs> and and yeah. you're deciding, here's where we want to be five years from now. Have mm -hmm. you had that conversation? And do you guys agree on what your vision is a few years down the road? We both agree on it, which yeah. is nice. <laughs> it's I think that's good. Easy thing with twins. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's so hard because you plan these five-year goals and then something like COVID happens and right. no one expected that. Like, how do you plan around that? Um 
So I think the five-year goals is really to be expanding out the Fijian business or just Aggie Global in general into other Pacific islands and start building up those countries as much as we're building up the Fijian branch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think in Australia it's just about making sure we have a certain proportion that's um, indigenously supplied, whether that's like over 80% or 90%. Um, so we have the goals, but I think a lot of the goals are embedded in our values of why we're doing this and our mm. purpose for the business, which makes it a lot easier because it's just like, okay, cool, this is the direction we need to go mm. and making sure the decisions we make along the way are impact-based and not always money-based, if that makes sense. Mm. So like it's always about- going back to how is this benefiting the farmer? Like is it actually the best decision for them or is it just because we're desperate for money at this point in time? Like that yeah, kind of sure, stuff. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it makes I, – I really am impressed with what you two have done. And and I want to make an invitation to you two to sometime down the road come back with – one of the farmers, maybe one of the indigenous farmers, uh, maybe somebody from Fiji. When you're there, we can do get hooked up and do a Zoom call and have and include them in the conversation with us too. Um, yeah, I want to give you a chance cool. one more time. We want to wrap up. I really appreciate having this opportunity to talk to Lisa and Zoe Paisley about Aggie Global and. Um, any final comments that you'd like to make to the listeners or suggestions on how they could participate or support what you're doing? Mm-hmm. I think the best way, and it's super simple, is find us on social media. So we've got a Fiji and Australian page on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so if you just Google Aggie Global, you should be able to find us, mm-hmm. um, mostly because we have a few really cool uh, projects in the works and one of them is a crowdfunding campaign. So anyone around the world can chip into the project and the funds will help go towards workshops or providing a food box to a family in need in Fiji or whatever it happens to be. Um, so if you want to kind of get involved with that, following us on social media is the best way to find out when that goes live. Okay. Zoe, do you say it all? Um, <laughs> I, th- I think that's pretty much it. I think it's just keeping up to date. We do have a mailing list as well that you can feel free to join. You'll be able to find that on our website, uh, which we've already mentioned, www.aggieglobal.com. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I think that's it. If you did want to email us, it's just our names at aggieglobal.com. So, and those names are Lisa and Zoe. Yeah. yeah, it'll be lisa.paisley, so P-A-I-S-L-E-Y. Okay. Um, there's a dot in there. But, yeah, pretty easy. Okay, sounds good. But if you know of any, like, similar businesses in your state, because obviously we're not in the U.S. yet, like, check them out um, and see if they have any produce you want to try because maybe there's some bush foods in (laughs) America that you haven't heard of before and you could try out. So just keep an eye on what's locally available. I will. I will. Don't get anywhere close to me. And I'm even thinking about trying to figure out how to get something shipped up there to me too. So (laughs) I'm I'm in. You've sold me. Hey, listen, (laughs) I really appreciate having Lisa and Zoe Paisley uh, on Farm to Table Talk. Thanks. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 
If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com, subscribe, and give us a review and a rating.